Why, Anglo? Why do you shy away, according to one of your biggest shareholders, from unashamedly and proudly saying that you are a company, yes, a global company, that is of South African origin. That there was the voice of uh, Indian billionaire Anil Agarwal, and uh, he, uh, as I said earlier on, crossed some swords with um, other shareholders and uh, many of the, the financiers uh, behind Anglo-American uh, by refusing to back the election of a non-executive director uh, at uh, the annual investor meeting, which has been happening over the last few days or so in London. And he's also accused, as you heard in the clip there, Anglo of being unduly pessimistic about South Africa, the company's birthplace, and not having enough South African directors on its board. And I think also uh, this is a cause certainly for us as South Africans to raise, to say uh, after, you know, close on a century, of benefiting from state-sanctioned repression of wages in this country to uh, amass all manner of super profits and, of course, state policy geared at the development of the minerals energy complex, of which Anglo benefited from, that Anglo now in 2019 can come back and say, well, yeah, we know, well, we worked in South Africa at some point. And yet, you are a South African company of South African origin. And I really like the examples he makes there of uh, Exxon and uh, the likes of British Petroleum and many others uh, who are unashamedly are going to say that we're a company of Indian origin. Even Tata can go and buy uh, a Jaguar or any other entity and still say that we are an Indian uh, company. I'm joined on the line by mining analyst, uh, mining and labor analyst, and uh, 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 also founder at a Creative Voodoo Consulting, Mamukheti Molopiane, to talk about this particular matter and, of course, all of the other drama that unfolded at that annual investor meeting in London. Mamukheti, good evening to you. How are you? Hi, Ayabonga. I'm well and you. I'm good, man. I'm glad you could join us on the other side. I've been trying to, mm. we've been trying to get hold of you to uh, speak to you about some of the mining and the labor issues that have certainly happened and occupied our minds. Uh, but I'm certainly delighted that you could join us this evening, uh, Mamukhet. Mamukhet, let's maybe start off here. And uh, if you could just give us some b- brief background. Uh, uh, when we talk about Anglo-American in 2019, it's probably not the same company that it was in 1992. Uh, but uh, let's just talk briefly about where Anglo is. A third of its business now coming, uh, uh, or its revenues coming from uh, Latin America, which uh, I guess many are suggesting would justify the uh, um, having a uh, leader who comes from Latin America. But uh, Anil Agarwal here saying, you know, it's very weird and peculiar for a company which uh, uh, has as its birthplace South Africa uh, to not have enough South African directors on its board, not have enough investments in the country, and uh, by and large not even actually claim South Africa as its home. Yes, it's it's interesting developments coming out of that uh, board meeting. To be a nano, nano bug on the wall or a real fly on the wall would have been something interesting. But um, Ayabonga, when we look at um, Anglo, we know that it is dual-listed, um, and earlier this, um, um, I mean, just today even, it said it, it said it had a very successful year, um, and it can it can look back in the past decade and see where it had gone wrong, where it had gone right. Of course, it's a way uh, you, you, your listeners would have been aware that it's a very diversified uh, company now from what it was um, <clears throat> from what it was when it was based in South Africa and when it was started in in, in South Africa. Mm. It has operations in uh, Peru. It has interest in Chile. It has uh, metallurgical coal in Australia. A bit of diamonds in Botswana, Namibia, and it has operations in South Africa. It it continues to emphasize that in South Africa, uh, it has 
made a total, in 2018 alone, I quote, it has made a total tax and economic contribution of about $8.5 billion. That's more than 120 billion rands. That being the case, however, the fact is that it is not even one foot in South Africa, it is half a foot in South Africa and the rest of its body out of the country um, as it has looked elsewhere Mm. to base itself. But also that it is London-based and it is no longer considering itself a South African company. As you heard, one of their top shareholders uh, came down hard uh, in that AGM session. Mm-hmm. Let's pause this slightly, uh, Mamukheti, and uh, of course invite some of our listeners here to uh, weigh in on this conversation and uh, certainly going to continue uh, 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 to uh, think about, uh, I guess, what this means in the bigger scheme of things. I'd love to hear from you. Give me a ring on 089-110-3377. And yet, uh, despite Anglo having its one foot in the country and, uh, of course, uh, other elements of its body outside of the country, as Mamukheti says, uh, it still, of course, doesn't uh, negate the fact that South Africa continues to have signs uh, geologically known reserves of minerals in South Africa and uh, I certainly think uh, we're not going to see Anglo-American leaving the country totally, least of all uh, with a shareholder like Anil Agawal uh, and uh, we take a brief break and on the other side we continue with Mamukheti Molopian. We're taking a look at uh, Anglo-American and, of course, uh, fraught and a tense annual investor meeting which happened in London yesterday and a big contest around uh, the appointment of uh, Marcelo Bastos, and a Brazilian businessman and, uh, of course, uh, one of the big shareholders in Anglo-American, uh, Anil Agawal, and uh, uh, his uh, entity, Vedanta, would have loved uh, to have seen a South African leading there and uh, uh, certainly in line with the sentiments that he has shared about uh, Anglo-Americans' reluctance to invest in the South African economy and uh, moreover to uh, own its uh, South African heritage. And uh, Mamukati, when we look, uh, you touched of course on some of the investments that they have in Latin America and I want us maybe to take a look at uh, uh, the expansion. Uh, we've seen uh, of late uh, uh, billions of dollars invested and a new operation in Peru. And uh, many of us back home here in South Africa, uh, uh, when we consider the investment drive that Cyril Ramaphosa is on, and we think about this particular company, which has certainly uh, fluctuated with the fortunes of this particular country, one would have thought, uh, well, why couldn't that investment have been made here in South Africa? And why does the strategy of the entity not necessarily allow for more investments to happen back home? Yes, that's what their uh, board member by the way, he owns 19% of their interest in Anglo. Mm. And that's what he's raising, that if you, um, I mean, you know, South Africa's geology and geography is, 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 is a perfect environment for the interest that he seeks to pursue, and he doesn't understand why Anglo seems to be looking elsewhere. Um, and, and, and on top of that, he argued very strongly that um, in the eight uh, non-executive board, there's only one South African, yet it has two Brits, uh, an American, and two Aussies, and and that's why he was so opposed to to the the the, the coming on board of Mr. Bastos. Um, so this is a full out um, internal war, interestingly, Ayabonga, that that plays out in public. Um, um, that obviously has a lot to do with the personalities that are involved. But even within the personalities that are involved, in the context of South Africa, he raised very 
key argument that says why uh, SSU had played a clip earlier. Historically, your roots are here. Why are you suddenly saying you are not interested? I, as a shareholder, have an interest to see the company continue and, and, and invest more in South Africa. Mm. Don't you think, I mean, and, and, and you know, this for me harkens back really to, to I remember a war of words between uh, former Anglo uh, chairman uh, Tony Traha, uh, also a South African, and uh, former President Thabo Mbeki, where, where Tony Traha had said, yeah, well, you know, some of the political risk issues have been uh, ironed out somewhat, and of course Anglo is still considering this. And I remember the, uh, uh, you know, where the, the clapback there on the part of the former president, and he was saying uh, it's quite... Um, Puzzling that, you know, entities like Anglo-Americans can speak about political risk in a democratic South Africa where you've seen asset values and uh, profits uh, uh, spectacularly rise over the last 25 years. One of the biggest beneficiaries, certainly, of the transition has been big business, uh, if you look certainly at the numbers. And, uh, and yet he feels that these are the same businesses that thrived under what was probably potentially the most politically risky uh, regime, which was apartheid uh, and even uh, preceding ones. Uh, and, and I guess, you know... How does that fit into this one, uh, Mamukhit? It does fit into the picture quite clearly. And I'm glad you mentioned former President Lakey because even as we look back to his administration, he had arguably the most business-friendly uh, um, administration South Africa has ever seen. Mm. Yet even then, the business uh, uh, business would always complain or was complacent and sought ways in which they did not want to get themselves involved. Even when you look at it now, um, in the, in the former President Zuma administration, some of his departments tried, if you look at the incentives that were put forth under the departments such as the DTI. And yet again, you realize that it's companies that are of South African origin that have no interest in taking up the incentives and in working together with government towards um, uh, creating an economy that's sustainable. Ironically, it is multi- some multinationals, and I, here I'm going to be specific in the auto industry, that have taken advantage of uh, the incentives that the DTI has put forward and iPad has put forward to them and have tried to to invest more into South Africa. Again, dispelling the, the, the irritating myth, Ayabonga, that says uh, investment goes away when there's political unrest or when there is uncertainty about politics. Because when you look at auto uh, uh, car companies such as Nissan, uh, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, and and even Toyota, they left a very stable Australia and opted for South Africa and, of course, Mexico. Uh, We know that for the past two years, um, there's been an exodus of auto manufacturers in Australia into South Africa and into Mexico. Mm. Therefore, dispelling this notion that business South Africa like to push forward that policy uncertainty to an extent uh, leaves the country unattractive for investment. And this is the argument, I think, that it's been made by the by the Mr. Anil Agawal of I mean the shareholder of Anglo, but also your your listeners have to be aware that arguably this could also be a, a games playing out in what is perceived. I know the London the Sunday Telegraph reported that what is perceived as a possible a bid for a takeover bid. Um, and, and as such, the, the, the company is preparing itself and has prepared itself and has been uh, drawing up plans to, to fend off 
Mr. Agawalt Vulcan Investment, um, which is the holding company by the, his holding company. It also controls uh, the metals company Vendata Resources. Mm. So, 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 so the the the. the, the the dispute in the board of Mr. Agawal in the Anglo-American board that locates itself deeply in South Africa when he questions why Anglo is intending to leave South Africa or doesn't invest more in South Africa could also have to do with the fact that there are murmurs and rumors of a potential takeover, takeover bid. Mm. Let's. I mean, you know, when we talk about this takeover bid, and I want us to maybe entertain it here for a second, because we do know that uh, some of the big financiers here, the likes of J.P. Morgan and a few others, uh, apparently have been said to have put in a change of control clause uh, to try and, I guess, um, you know, back up some of the investors here who are anti-Anil uh, Agarwal. Uh, in the case where, of course, he, uh, I guess, uh, throws his toys out of the cot and uh, decides... Uh, to uh, uh, mobilize some investor sentiment around his position, and uh, which is anti the appointment of Brazilian Marcelo Bastos. Um, you know, w- what does that mean in the bigger scheme of things here when you can already see some investors going out and approaching some of the uh, fund managers to say, look, uh, please place this particular change of control clause in the uh, lending agreements that you have with Anglo uh, so that uh, this uh, kind of um, corporate hardball that Anil is playing uh, doesn't necessarily materialize. Yes, it's, it's, it's not going to. By the way, uh, it's been said that Anglo's advisors, who are Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and Center View, are the ones that are appearing to be <clears throat> working together to hold off this this uh, attempt, attempt at takeover bit of um, Mr. Agarwal, who is supported or through J.P. Morgan. He's doing his things through J.P. Morgan and co. So it's really going to be a battle of the big banks in a resource industry um, a, a, a company, and we might see this breaking out far longer. I always say when, when, when we want to look at how things play out, when companies are being taken over, the takeover bid, or assets are being bought, we must always go back to how Strata and Lenko thing worked out. And so even though he is a 19% um uh, with share interest in, in Anglo, eventually it comes down to uh, whether he can gather enough support to swing things his way or whether he might be pushed out, depending on how things play out. Now, Mamukhiti, for, for me, I guess the, the other question here relates to uh, the mixed messages here. It's quite clear that uh, Anglo might probably not be as positive or bullish about what's happening in South Africa. And yet, when we look at uh, the international community, I mean, we saw that piece the Financial Times uh, ran on Tito Mboweni. We saw uh, uh, the uh, Economist, uh, of course, uh, leading with that editorial saying, uh, you know, Cyril uh, Ramaphosa is, I guess, uh, the only bet that uh, South African voters have, despite uh, him not being in a party that they agree with. And they also saw the Time magazine running with uh, uh, a main editorial of the South African story in the lead up to these elections. Well, what do you make of the sentiment within large capital in South Africa and outside of South Africa and how bullish they are on Ramaphosa and how that doesn't chime in, I guess, uh, with uh, the sentiments of uh, certainly one of South Africa's largest uh, uh, corporate uh, entities here, Anglo-American? Oh, they are. I mean, the markets and the global sentiment for uh, President Ramaphosa and how the election plays out will always be favoring him. Uh, we are seeing, especially when you look at how... Uh, 
although it has had ups and downs, the rent has performed since its time, uh, despite one or two blips here and there. And you're looking at how globally they, he is being positioned, or the brand of President Ramaphosa is being positioned, not just uh, by, by the way, his office, but by uh, key media outlets in the global in the global arena. So there seems to be an interest in him up here, in him emerging victorious as a president, and that might spur on uh, um, 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 investment, or that might spur on the market's positive response to him, because so far uh, Ayabonga, he has indicated a leaning towards a business-friendly environment, a leaning towards uh, a, 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 an investment-driven economy. Um, and, and his investment drive, however much it is in uh, South Africa's emerging market. Um, having said that, by the way, um, I remember last month or two I wrote in my regular column um, that even though the sentiment seems to be positive, uh, about South Africa. For 11 days in March, there were a conservative selling off of South African bonds at a time when um, there was a flush of money into the emerging markets and South Africa was facing the opposite. South Africa was getting the opposite response. However, that seemed to have rebounded and there seemed to be a positive sentiment towards um, President Ramaphosa and the assumption that if ANC emerges victorious, uh, depending, of course, also partly on the percentage, on the on the percentage that the ANC gets, he will then be able to be in a more solid position, more solid grounded, and and will be able to mm. um, move along quickly in his investment drive, but also yeah. in positioning the country as towards further investment. Mm. Now, Mamukheti, we know, and uh, last question on my end here, we know that uh, certainly no one uh, backs a certain horse or a jockey without uh, really expecting whatever payoff or whatever uh, interest that they have to be served in whatever form or the other. I'm interested in what, I guess, the, the large uh, international businesses, uh, certainly from where you're sitting, uh, set, are set to benefit by, uh, I guess, uh, backing this particular uh, uh, Ramaphosa jockey or horse, uh, and uh, from a policy perspective, what kind of package of reforms are they anticipating? Well, that's going to be a tough one. I think for 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 them, one of the major policies that they they anticipate President Ramaphosa to implement immediately is a lenient uh, labour policy uh, argument from business, yeah, not just local, by the way, has always been that your your labour laws are a bit rigid, and we know. Two to three years ago, he has been going on, even when he was consulting at NEDLEG, even on the National Minimum Wage Bill, you would know that the argument has been that something has to give within uh, uh, the labor laws and there has to be flexibility within that. But at the same time, I think the drive will always have to be for him, uh, will try to diversify the economy away from resource dependency. And if you listen to government, they have been talking about... Um, Technology is the way to go. Technology is the future. But then there's a mismatch in the skills we have uh, with the technology that is emerging. I think from a policy perspective, he will have to be clear whether he carries on with the national development plan or mm. he comes out with something. I do not think he can come out with something completely new. He will have to work with the national development plan. Arguably indicate that he's implementing some of his things. If he does, then I think uh, the sentiment will obviously tend towards finally the South African um, 
leadership that is implementing the policy that they have developed for so long. Mamukheti, always a pleasure to catch up with you, and I certainly hope you can uh, join us here. Class Bangale Economy, but uh, always a pleasure uh, to catch up with you, and certainly a story we're going to be uh, following very closely because I can assure you, certainly for Anil Agawal, this is not the end of this particular fight. Mamukheti yes, Molopiane. Indeed, indeed. Mamukheti Molopiane as a founder and a consultant at Creative Voodoo Consulting and also a mining labor and security analyst speaking to us this evening. Nine minutes it is after 8 p.m. Let's take this brief break.